I do think deep down, we do treat these kinds of things as kind of spiritual checklists that we can feel good about ourselves if we do them. And so rather than hearing from God in his voice and being transformed by his word, when we reduce it to something we have to get done, then we can start feeling good about ourselves for just having done do it. And then we treat it like we treat so many other things in life that we just, it's important to get them done. And so we, we just feel good about doing spiritual things um, or then despairing and guilty if we don't do them. And, and it's because it's detached from viewing this for what it actually is, which is hearing God himself speak to us. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Drew Hunter. Drew currently serves as the teaching pastor at Zionsville Fellowship in Zionsville, Indiana. He's written a number of books and most recently contributed to a brand new Bible resource from Crossway called Unfolding Grace, 40 Guided Readings Through the Bible, and for which he also wrote the study guide. Today, Drew and I discuss advice for Christians eager to reinvigorate or maybe jumpstart for the first time a consistent Bible reading habit. He reflects on how to avoid viewing time in God's Word as merely a task on a checklist, shares his thoughts on the pros and cons of reading plans, and highlights the importance of seeing God's Word as one unified story, culminating in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and why that perspective fundamentally changes how we read Scripture. Let's get started. Well, Drew, thank you so much for joining me on the Crossway Podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. So today we're going to talk about uh, Bible study and um, just the goal that we as Christians have to get into the Word on a regular basis, to to love God's Word, to read God's Word with understanding, and uh, just to go deeper in our appreciation for what He has, has said to us. But I think it's it's one of those topics that often provokes in many people different responses. I think for some Christians, the idea of Bible study and Bible reading can just be this this life giving idea that we just we know how valuable it is in our own lives. But for other other Christians who are maybe new to the faith or have been Christians for a long time but have struggled to really be in the Word on a regular basis, uh, it can often provoke other kinds of feelings and responses. That, that leads me to my first question is, where would you plot Bible study and, and regular Bible reading on the chart of the importance for the Christian life? I think there are some Christians who would say, you need to be in the Bible reading God's Word every day, you know, start your day even with that, and that if you, if you don't do that, you really are going to be hamstringing yourself in the Christian life. And they might even, you know, if, if someone's struggling with some kind of sin or some kind of, um, some kind of issue, that's the first thing they ask is, well, how's your Bible reading going? And then I think there are people on the other side of the, the, the equation who uh, might say, I want to be careful not to overemphasize in some kind of legalistic way, maybe an unbiblical mandate that we be reading the Bible every single day. So where would you fall on that spectrum? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And I'm not sure that I that I plot myself on like a point on the spectrum because um, at one level, I think for the for those who may be on one end emphasizing that, you know, we've got to have it every morning, you know, at least a half hour. 
um, that's coming from a place of recognizing its importance, but it also could come from a place of not even recognizing just how important it is. So I think of Jesus who compared God's word to uh, a meal. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he was saying that in the midst of temptation, and he was meditating on God's word. That itself was a quotation from the Old Testament. And then I think of um, it being just God's very word to us. And Psalm 1 says, meditate on it day and night. So there's more than just read it once a day. It's actually a meditate on God's word day and night throughout the day, saturate your life with God's word. So that both raises the level of how important this is to just be have a Bible saturation in life, but it also removes the need to have specific rules of saying you need 30 minutes in the morning, you need it twice a day now, or anything like that. So so for me, I just I want to keep growing in saturating myself with God's word and um, and then find what ways work best for my life and my season. I find myself having to kind of reset rhythms all the time and just find out how you know it starts drifting and how do I find out what what works for me in a new in a new season. And um, and and part of it I think is recognizing too that God's word is his very speech to us. So it's not so much how do I block off time to to get this spiritual religious task done, but it's I want to hear from him. And then I want to talk to him. And so if God himself is my creator who knows me and loves me, um, I want to prioritize spending time with him in a focused way. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned that it's it's more about a whole life saturation in the word. Uh, and it's not just about checking off a to-do list every morning. Um, but so often it does seem like we can we can get pulled towards that mindset when it comes to our Bibles and, and reading our Bibles uh, let alone a host of other good spiritual disciplines that we might want to do. I wonder, why do you think it is, in your opinion, and maybe even your own experience, why is it that we're so prone to turn these things into just a checklist? Yeah, I think there's probably a number of reasons, but different personalities are wired a little bit differently. But I do think deep down we do treat these kinds of things as kind of spiritual checklists that we can feel good about ourselves if we do them. And so when we when we reduce it to that, rather than hearing from God in his voice and being transformed by his word, um, when we reduce it to something we have to get done, then we can start feeling good about ourselves for just having done do it. And then we treat it like we treat so many other things in life that we just, it's important to get them done. You know, make sure you mow the lawn once a week, you know, and uh, well, I feel good that I've gotten it done. Make sure you read the Bible every day, got it done, right? And so we, we just feel good about doing spiritual things um, or then despairing and guilty if we don't do them. And, and it's because it's detached from viewing this for what it actually is, which is hearing God himself speak to us. Hmm. Yeah, as you think back on your own life, and you know, think about seasons in which you struggled to be consistent in your Bible reading, whatever that looked like, uh, how did you, or I guess first, did you experience discouragement and, and disappointment? And if so, how did you work through that? Because I think sometimes that can be ironically uh, something that keeps us from actually making progress on these things. We feel so uh, disappointed in ourselves that we actually lack a motivation to, to start. Yeah. Yeah. I've had many, many, many seasons like that, even recently. Um, and, uh, and so I have to keep coming back to what the Bible actually is and what the heart of God's message to me is that when I go even return to God's word, the central message that he wants to speak to me in his word is, I love you. Uh, and when I confess even my spiritual apathy, he says, I forgive you. 
and I'm happy you're back, you know? And so who wouldn't want to return to that kind of God and that kind of message? So when I remember what the central message of the Bible is, that actually itself is motivating to me. And over time, that's been just a little bit more built into my instincts so that when I start to feel guilty, I think, no, God's word has proven itself so many times to give me joy. And and he is so welcoming to me that I don't need to feel guilty, and he doesn't want me to feel guilty, and so I'm going to return to him. And so that, there's this motivation that where I'm drawn back into God's Word when I remember who he is and what his Word really is. Hmm. So I think one of the things that many people have found to be very helpful when it comes to their Bible reading, and I would just love to hear you comment on how it fits in with what we've been talking about when it comes to making a habit out of Bible reading and, and Bible study, are reading plans. Uh, and I wonder, like, have you used reading plans? Have they been an important part of your own journey towards uh, reading the Bible? And how do you see them fitting into this idea that we don't want it to just be a, a checklist item for us? Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to even recognize, you know, for all the recognition that this isn't just a checklist thing and it's not just get your 20 minutes in the morning done. Uh, we are built to work with rhythms in life, right? So if we recognize foods and foods is important and we don't want to just say, just eat these three things in the morning, you're done. We still do build rhythms in our life. And for things that we prioritize, we schedule them. We, we get patterns in our life to spend time with friends or to eat or to exercise. So I think even recognizing the value of God's word, not reducing it to just something we do once a day, it still is really helpful to have patterns. And so I have... Uh, consistently tried to have different kinds of patterns. I've never been stuck for too long with just one. So the three kind of that I end up rotating between are sometimes I'll do like a Bible read through where I'm thinking, how do I just read through the whole sweep of the Bible in this next season? And, you know, if I do it in a year, there's one year reading plans that are great. There's a bunch of those. I've I've tended in recent years to um, just I kind of did the math: how many chapters are in the Bible, how many days are in the in a year, and I just was like, okay, well, I can read uh, about four chapters a day, and I'll basically get through it in a year. And there's no guilt if I don't, because I'm not going to keep track. I'm I'm not going to have my checklists. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a no guilt reading plan, um, and I start from Genesis and move through. Or I've done with that even just kind of the three Old Testament chapters, one New Testament chapter, and I'll just do that every day. And then by the about the end of a year, if I'm broadly consistent, I'll get through it. How long does that take you on a daily basis, roughly? You know, 20 minutes or so. I can, if I'm just reading it and I kind of have have already had some coffee, I can get it done a little more quickly, or maybe it is the 20. Sometimes I just go slower and my mind drifts and I've got to re-engage with it again. And sometimes I'm really curious about something and I do slow down. So I just create space um, for that. How do you balance the the reality that there are seasons when um, Bible reading is dry, it's hard, and we have to exert some level of self-discipline and uh, consistency in that with what you're saying, though, that we don't want it to become boiled down into just a rote activity that we do. We want to be doing it for the right reasons and have the right heart in that. So I guess where's the balance? Because I think sometimes people will say, um, you just need to push through. You need to do it. That will create the feelings. But then on the other hand, if you, you know, if you do that too long and things don't change, it can become a, a pretty maybe legalistic type of activity. Right. Yeah, I think for me, I just need to ask why. Why am I feeling dry in this season? And there could be a number of reasons for it. You know, some sometimes there's no real explanation I can figure out. And then you know, I've been encouraged by others to view this as a marathon, not a series of sprints. Right. So, if 
if five days in a row, 10 days in a row, longer than that, it feels broadly dry. Well, the only way the kindling is going to get sparked is if I just am still here. Like, this is how the Lord rekindles my spirit. So I, I do just keep pushing through with my my pattern, even if it's dry. But other times, I do need to just recognize what's going on with me, perhaps that's that's leading me not to engage with this. And then there are often answers that I find to me. Either I'm really distracted. I think some seasons I've realized my problem is I'm checking the news before I'm reading the Bible, and I'm checking my email. My head is cluttered with the stress and tasks to do. And then I spend too much time reading the news, so I lose the time that I had kind of planned to be in the Bible. So now I'm kind of rushed, and I feel guilty, and i got to work through that, right? Mm. Um, And then that actually can be such a pattern that I get locked into, and I just have to kind of, again, hit a reset and say, okay, for me, I'm having a hard time checking the news before the Bible, and I've just got to be disciplined to get time in the Word before I do news, Um, at least just because I do it in the morning right now. Again, it's not for necessarily the plan for everybody, but I just noticed for me that's been really a key way in which I can tell if I'm going to be dry or distracted is is what I'm doing in that 30 minutes before I have time in the Word. Hmm. Yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I recently read a book on habit and habit formation, and there's there's lots of books these days, it seems like, on that topic. And it was written from a, you know, a, a secular perspective, not, not anything explicitly Christian about it. But I was just, uh, it's it eye-opening to see some of the research that's gone into habit formation and, and the ways the human mind thinks and uh, makes decisions and creates these habits, patterns in our lives that are then easier to fall into after a period of intentional effort. I wonder, have you, have you ex- explored any of that? And how do you think that relates to especially these issues of spiritual disciplines and, and starting something, getting consistent on something that we know is going to be spiritually good for us, but it can be really hard to get going. Yeah, I think I'm really glad that there's been a lot of attention on habits. It's been really enlightening for me to learn about as well and just make sense of make sense of our life and how we experience life. We do find, you know, habits of eating even just a meal at a certain time, habits of gathering with family, if you have a family at home to eat a meal. Um, once you once you get into that rhythm, you don't need to think so hard about making it happen every time because it's just set. So I think for Bible reading, um, if you and this is why I, I often have to kind of reset my habits, and that's how I think of it. I'm resetting a habit, trying to start a new one, because if I don't have any kind of habit, then every time I want to read the Bible, I'm left to either my spontaneous feelings, and I did that for a, for a season of life, where I was like, I'm not going to have a rhythm, I'm not going to just have a certain time, you know, I'm going to do it whenever I feel like it. And, and of course, I felt that way in a season when I was like really spiritually alert and, and happy and excited, and so, but, you know, after a week, when that apathy kind of sets in, then the, the Bible's gone. Um, so, you know, we if we have a habit, it's there for us. It's like rails on a train. The train's going to move, and it's not going to be dependent upon my fickle emotions. Um, I'm going to get this time, and it's valuable. And I don't have to think about, you know, where am I going to do this? When am I going to do this? What's my plan? So that's why I think it's even helpful to to have a plan, to have a place that you go to to, st- to read God's Word, to have a time that you usually do it. Um, because once you decide all of those things, you don't have to think about them every day. Mm-hmm. You don't have to look in your schedule when you'll squeeze it in. It's just kind of uh, settled in your schedule. And of course, you need to change that all the time as other things change and reset habits. But um, locking into that for a time makes it easier than to focus on the actual task at hand because your mind is so free from all the other questions. What am I going to read? Where am I going to read? When am I going to read? How long am I going to read? And you actually, that's already settled. So you sit down and think, 
okay, I want to, I'm going to focus on what I'm reading and focus on the Lord here. Um, so habits can free you then to do that. Yeah, it's so interesting. I know I've learned a lot as well through some of these, some of these books, and uh, I've wrestled with, and I think in talking with other Christians, they've, they've expressed similar things, wrestled with understanding how to kind of bring those things together, these secular, um, you know, quote-unquote, non-Christian insights into how we think as humans, and kind of applying them to things like spiritual disciplines, to Bible reading. I think sometimes we can have in our mind that, well, the, the Bible is God's word. I know that. I believe that. And so I should just want to do that. And so uh, it's really just an issue of my will and just sort of getting that on, in line with what God has said uh, is important for me. Mm-hmm. And we kind of maybe look down on or neglect some of the more practical things, like you're saying, setting a, a getting a good time uh, set, a, set up ahead of time, having a plan, kind of thinking through that, having a consistent place to be. Uh, have you ever wrestled with that? that kind of tension between these are spiritual activities, but there are maybe very practical, this worldly types of things that can really impact us. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think over over recent years, I've just seen how, you know, the Lord has made us embodied creatures and he's made the world to operate with rhythms. He has seasons, he has, you know, sunrise, sunset, um, and and we need sleep and rhythm. So I've just grown in my appreciation of just recognizing that I'm a creature and that so much of spiritual and physical life is integrated, right? So if I don't get good sleep, the spiritual fruit, the fruit of the spirit ends up not being born and ripened in my life very well the next day, right? Um, so sleeping and eating well and exercising. For me, I actually had a season where um, I, real, I, I realized I had a gluten allergy. I didn't know it for seven years, and I was exhausted all the time. I was irritable. I was impatient. And I had, I had thought of myself kind of as basically loosely patient. I mean, obviously needed room to grow, but it was just really hard for me. Hmm. And, then, and then once I realized I had a, a gluten issue, I changed my diet. I was like, whoa, I feel like I have a few more seconds to control my emotions right now. And wow. I, you know, it was, it's been really helpful. So that even just was helpful for me to recognize you know, the, the physical and spiritual intertwined, they interact with one another. So knowing God through his word and prayer, we shouldn't be surprised that it, it could be fit into rhythms of life, like day and night, morning and evening, and set rhythms of time, because that's just how he's made life, and it's a good thing, and we can embrace that. Hmm. Yeah, so another topic that we often hear in conversation about Bible study and Bible reading is the idea of meditation. And I think for, for some Christians listening today, they might, there might be a lot of baggage associated with that word. I think if you look in our broader culture, there is a lot of talk about meditation. I was just looking through the app store on my phone, and I saw that there are so many apps that purport to help you meditate every day and, and give you tips for that, and nice calming music in the background, and uh, breathing exercises, and all that. So I guess, what do you, what do you view Christian meditation to be? And why is that important in all of this? Yeah, I think it is really important, but we you're right. We do need to f- ask the question, what is it, and in particular, according to the Bible? Because the idea does come from the Bible. So Psalm 1, blessed is the man, the person who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Um, and and so in the way that Psalm 1 describes the result of this person who meditates on, on the, law, the law of the Lord day and night is really appealing and something that shows the importance of this because he's like a tree planted by streams of water that's, you know, his roots are sinking deep, his leaf isn't wither, he's bearing fruit, he's stable, he's secure, he's fruitful. Um, we want that. We need that today. Um, 
and meditation is the key in Psalm 1 there. So the, the question then is, what is it? And the word there can, I think, if I remember right, can be translated something like to speak or mutter. It's used in a lot of different contexts. So that's really a good indication. It's a speaking in your mind and heart. It's a deep thinking on God's word. And so that means it's not passive. It's not just clearing our minds. It's actually filling our minds and hearts with God's word and slowing down enough to really think it through. What does this mean? What does this mean for me? What would the Lord have me do in response to this? Um, so an example of this, one of my favorite moments in the Bible where we see this is Lamentations chapter 3. You have this man who's in complete despair, saying there's no hope. Um, I mean, it's the book of Lamentations, a very dark and sad book, and the turning point is in the middle of it, chapter 3, and he says, but this, the translations say something like, but this I call to mind, and um, it could be translated, um, but this I cause to return to my heart. Mm. Either way, the point's the same, but I love that. He's causing somebody to return to his heart. He's calling to mind, it's in his heart, and what is it? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's Bible meditation. He got that from other scriptures. And so he's calling God's word to mind, causing it to return to his heart. And then he says, and therefore I have hope. So the turning point in this man's soul happened through a moment of Bible meditation, of bringing God's word to bear in his soul and and to slowing down to let that happen. So I want that. Um, and so that means I need to slow down with God's word, to think it through, to let it drop into my mind and heart, um, and then to be to begin to respond. So there's a very um, heart-level orientation in God's presence here mm. with meditation. So what does that look like practically for you? you know, some people like to walk, some people like to sit, you know, closing your eyes. Are, are there any particular practical things that you do on a regular basis uh, to help you meditate on God's Word? Yeah, the most common way that I do that is I just make sure that toward the end of my regular rhythm of Bible reading, um, I slow down and have time to meditate. So I'll read through, you know, if I'm doing a Bible read through, I'm reading through four chapters or so. Right now, I've just been working through Isaiah one chapter at a time. So I'll just slow down and return and revisit something that I read. Um, I often always try to read a psalm as well, so I sometimes use a psalm for this, and I just return to it and slow down. I've spent time reading, I've spent time thinking about it, but I need to just sit with this, and I usually just ask a few key questions. I've even written them out on a note card just to help me sometimes. And um, one, one way to do it is to even just use that ACTS uh, acronym that's usually used for prayer and use it for meditation. So, if, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You can use that and look at a scripture and think, what is there here now that I've, I've spent time either studying it to the end or I've ten, tentative conclusions to reading it, what is there here for me to respond in adoration to the Lord about? What have I learned about God here? And I'm, doing, I'm trying to do this with a prayerful posture. So, Lord, what are you revealing here in your word that I can praise you for? And then I want to turn that into prayer. Um, and then confession, what, what here have I read that I really should be doing some confession about. I don't want to just breeze through this, read about, you know, sins and then say, great, I got my Bible reading done. No, I want to want to respond to this. So I need to slow down and think, and then I need to actually do the confession in prayer. Um, Thanksgiving, what can I thank God for here? What am I grateful for that, that he's revealed here? And then supplications, anything I need um, 
And then that stuff, so really it's a bridge to prayer. I think others have said that meditations between scripture reading and prayer. So I just make sure I, I give time and space for that bridge between Bible reading or study and prayer to make sure my heart is engaged and I'm responding well. Um, one other question I love, I think Tim Keller mentioned this question at some point for meditation. It was, you know, what what would my, I, I'm, I shouldn't even quote him here because I'm going to so badly quote it. He'll say, <laughs> I didn't say that. But the idea is, what do, what do I see here in this text that if I really believed it, would absolutely transform my life. And asking that question is surprising. And I think it's one of the most fruitful moments of meditation for me because I realize in that moment, I've been assuming that I've been understanding this and applying it and, you know, getting, but when I actually slow down and think, hold on, what would it be like if I took this seriously and took God seriously here? I think I would be less anxious today. I think I'd be eager to encourage the person I have a meeting with later today. I think, I mean, all, all of a sudden, I think this would transform my life. Um, and then now I'm ready to pray, and uh, Lord willing, the Spirit can bear some fruit in my life. Do you ever think that that question, really asking that question and being you know, willing to face up to the answers is, is kind of scary? Yeah, yeah. Um, and painful, right? We are comfortable with who we are. At some level, and at some levels, we 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 also despise parts of ourselves. You know, we, we're frustrated with ourselves. However, you want to put it. Right. Um, but it, you know, to be confronted with who we really are, and just to have to acknowledge that we're maybe not even as spiritually engaged as we were thinking. You know, it's it's just really eye opening, and it has implications for our life. So, at another level, this really is the path of joy, and and the Lord does this for our good, so it shouldn't be scary, right? We should be thinking, yeah. Uh, if this is hard, whatever it is, the Lord wounds to heal, and um, this is for my good, and um, and He's proven Himself so often that I've never regretted obeying Him uh, ever. I've never regretted doing the hard work of responding faithfully to His Word. And so, at one level, it it can be scary or painful or challenging. At another level, this is just you know, a new world has opened up of joy mm. that we're ready to step into. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, meditation as a segue to prayer. And so I, I think in the topic of prayer, especially even when it comes to the idea of uh, Bible reading and Bible study, and it, just in so many other contexts, I think if we're being honest, and I'll, I'll speak for myself honestly, it can feel like such an obligatory kind of mundane thing to emphasize. Like, okay, yeah, we should be praying, and that makes a lot of sense, and yeah, I, I'm probably not doing it as much as I should. Uh, and you feel a little guilty, but it's also maybe maybe even a little bit boring at times, the, the, the thought of that. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if you could speak, just help cast a vision for us. Why is prayer such a valuable thing to not just skip over or rush through, especially when it comes to our Bible reading? Yeah, I think um, kind of back returning to what we were talking about at the beginning, that when we think about Bible reading and prayer together, what we're talking about is a conversation. And so when we read the Bible, we're hearing God's voice to us. He's speaking to us. And prayer is us speaking back to Him. So it, Bible reading and prayer then together become a conversation. Um, and so when you think of any relationship, it would be really weird if you just showed up and, I mean, people are honored by listening. It's actually a way to love people, right, is to listen. But they wouldn't be honored if you never talked and never responded and just, uh, and you didn't even 
say, hey, I'm here to listen, right? You just kind of just show up and look at them and expect them to start talking, and then you're just silent and staring, right? Um, the Lord's speaking, and it's it's a conversation there. So, um, you know, and I wonder if, um, I have a, I don't know that I've really thought about this that much before, but like the early disciples in relating with Jesus, they knew what it was like to have conversations with him. Mm. And I wonder if when he departed, they were able to take that experienced relationship with him and then recognize that's what's happening in their ongoing walk with with the Lord, with the Father and the Son by the Spirit, that that they they heard from him and they talked with him. And now they can't see him right now, but that relational dynamic is what's happening through the word and prayer. And so I think if we really just believe what we believe, you know, that mm, you know, yeah. in other words, that what would change in my life if I actually believed I was could have a conversation with the Lord and him speak to yeah. me through his word and me in prayer, then I it, of course it's not a duty or or um, anything like that. It's, well, of course. I think the other part of it is um, it really matters what posture we have before the Lord. So I mentioned I've been reading through Isaiah, and I was struck toward the end with um, the Lord saying, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And so that's who we want to be. We want to open his word, and we want to we be humble, which is open, teachable, um, contrite in spirit, right? Open to correction and trembling at his word. And that that's that would be, I just think, impossible to do without speaking to him about this and asking him, Lord, help me be this way. Lord, speak to me. Lord, teach me. So for me with prayer, practically, I want to start Bible reading with prayer by asking him to help me understand his word, to give me a humble disposition, uh, to transform me. I want to have a posture of prayer throughout, and then I want to respond in prayer in different ways. Yeah, yeah. So what about reading the Bible with other people? I think that's something that uh, for, for those who have experienced the joy of that, um, the, the benefits that come from digging into the Bible with someone else, uh, you know, you get it. But what would you say to someone who's maybe never really done that, never, never done that in a meaningful way? Um, just explain why you think that can be a valuable thing to pursue. Yeah, it's really helpful because we we all process God's Word a little bit differently and see things differently in it. Um, the Lord, it's not that there's multiple truths, right, um, or contradictory things, but, you know, just like in our own life, one year we may notice something that's true. The next year we notice something else that's true that we just didn't have eyes to see before. And so we really can help each other then in um, learning from each other and what other people are reading in God's Word. Um, we also... Uh, have an opportunity to just be um, encouraging each other with God's Word. Um, we, we learn by watching each other respond to God's Word. So in Acts 2, we see that the, the early church said they were gathering together all the time, and they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, right? So they're devoting themselves together to the teaching, and no doubt talking about it, encouraging each other with it, correcting each other um, with it. And so um, it's really important to fill in our own blind spots, and then to help each other grow as well, and just for mutual accountability and encouragement. So I've had different different ways I've done that over time, and it's invariably been really helpful to have people that I walk through the Word with. Mm. Yeah, maybe speak practically to somebody who's listening and, and, and says, yeah, I want that. I would love to find somebody. Maybe they know of somebody already that they would love to sit down with on a regular basis and read the Bible with. What might that look like, very practically speaking? Sure. Um, I can share a few different ways I've done it. 
um, one one way I've done in different different seasons with people is to just have a, a regular time where I'm catching up with someone. And part of the, our conversations, we ask each other what's been encouraging in God's Word. And we'll even say the assumption is we want to be in God's Word. And even asking each other helps us be a bit accountable um, to that and reminds us. And then we get to encourage each other. So we just ask what's been something that's been encouraging to you in God's Word recently and just sharing that. Here's what I'm reading. Here's what I'm thinking about. Um, so even having that just built in. So we're, we're talking about God's Word together. Another way to do it, um, I was actually just talking with someone over lunch today about setting up um, a time to start reading God's Word together. And so we're going to probably get together uh, maybe eight times or so over the course of the next few months and read God's Word together and talk about it. So when I've done that with someone, I just have that as a category. You know, I might be talking to someone, it just seems like, you know, I think we would both benefit from getting together, getting to know one another, and reading God's Word together. So it'll be for coffee or breakfast, and the plan is usually get to know one another, enjoy the meal, enjoy the coffee, and then at some point turn to say, okay, let's let's read God's Word together now. And um, shorter books like Paul's letters work really well. So I've sometimes taken, you know, Colossians or Philippians, four chapters, and say, let's just read a half a chapter and talk about it. And then our first meeting, we read the first half of the first chapter, and we just, no pressure. It's not like we had to prepare to study ahead of time. I've done that before a long time ago, and then you forget, you feel guilty, and you, you're expected <laughs> right. to kind of say, you know, it's like, no, we're just going to read it. And what stood out to you? I know some people hate that question. I think that's that can be a good question if you're also asking other good questions. But just, yeah, like, what does this mean? And what do you think, what, do you, what stands out to you in, in this time? And what how should this change our life this afternoon? Um, and then the next time, have breakfast and do the next half a chapter. Read it out loud together and just ask some good questions about what does this mean? What's the context here? Even some of those study questions and then responding to the implications together and then praying. So that's another way I've done it. And then one other thing that comes to mind is, doing a Bible reading plan together, maybe when you're not actually reading together, but you're reading the same thing and then talking about it whenever, either on a schedule or not. So we um, have done a couple times as a church, a church-wide reading plan. Hmm. And you don't have to do that as a church necessarily. You can you know, just have a friend and say, hey, let's do this reading plan together. But it was incredible how encouraged people were to know that uh, you know, as spouses, they found themselves talking about the Bible for the first time ever. Um, other people knew, you know, they come across something in Judges that's that just seems absolutely bizarre, and you have no idea how to process it. But you know, your two other good friends, like they read that that day as well, or they're about to later. And so you could say, hey, what do you think about that? And then they just started talking about it. So you're, you're just moving through the Bible together, and it's just shaping your conversations together. Um, so that bears, that's a lot of fruit. So those are a few different ways, you know, reading uh, something at the same time and talking about it, meeting to talk about what you're reading, and reading actually together. Yeah, you mentioned spouses and how having a shared Bible reading plan, uh, even if you're not sitting down and reading the Bible together, you know, every single time, that can be such a valuable thing. What would you say to the person, maybe there's a couple listening, they, they haven't done much together Bible reading or parallel Bible reading that just hasn't been a feature of their marriage uh, what what encouragement would you offer that person on that front? Yeah, I think the first thing would be to recognize that there's not just one way to have the Bible um, engaged in your conversations in marriage. So my wife and I have done different things, and we found different things easier and different things harder. So some people—and I say that because I know some people have said— 
you know, we tried, we sat down, we opened it up. And then, you know, my husband just started teaching for a while or the guy's saying, so I tried to teach and she wasn't really interested. And it's like, well, you don't need to have like a sermon, you know, every time. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of ways you can do it. So for instance, right now, what my wife and I are doing is we're not doing a certain plan together, but we're just, we, we're in the word each on our own. And then we just make sure that it's a regular part of our conversation. We occasionally ask each other, what are you reading? You know, what's been encouraging to you? And then we are curious and we, we're encouraged by one another. And we just want to make sure that's just non-awkward. And we're just celebrating each other and what the Lord's teaching. And then the other thing we do, and we've done this often on our marriage, is just before we go to bed, read a psalm out loud. Um, you know, maybe take turns. Um or whoever is less tired, you know, read it out loud. And then we just try to respond, you know, did anything stand out to you? Or, um, you know, what do you think this means for us right now? How should we respond? Um, and then we just pray in light of it. So, uh, but some of those other ways could be great as well, just having the same Bible reading plan. And I know some that actually do, they, 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 um, We'll read it together. Um, so I have a friend who they have young kids, and after dinner they dismiss the kids, and then that's when they just read the just read something together. And they may have a plan. I don't know what they're doing right now, but maybe they're just working their way through certain books of the Bible, and they'll just read it and talk together and pray. Yeah. So how do you get through that awkwardness? And there might be someone listening, and, and all of those options sound good in theory, but you know, it just seems like that would be such a, a a weird kind of thing to start doing all of a sudden. Uh, what would you say to to the person who's maybe worried about that? I'd say there's probably a, a couple different kinds of people listening, right? So if you're listening and you, if we're thinking, are we thinking about spouses right now and that kind of dynamic? Yeah. yeah. So if you're a spouse and you sense that even as you've been listening, you're like, you know, my, my wife or my husband, they really do want that. And they've really been eager for that. And I've been slow or I've been awkward or I've been, you know, I think then, then it's really on you to um, ask the Lord to help you um, engage happily and just try something with them. Open the conversation up because your spouse may just be waiting patiently for the Lord to do that work in your life to have you engage with that. Um, you may be listening though, and you're thinking, I've tried those things and I've, it's, it hasn't worked. And I've, I'm now having to re refrain from bringing it up again because I don't want it to be awkward. And, um, and that's a really hard situation to be in. And so, you know, that is just like so many things in life when we long to see them happen. And we want to continue to pray to the Lord, ask the Lord to f bring a new idea into your life or change your heart or your spouse's heart. Um, and then just try something new and just, you know, over time, just keep floating new ideas that may work. Maybe one of the ones we've talked about, you know, saying, hey, what do you think about doing uh, the same Bible reading plan this year? Or just saying, hey, what are you reading recently? And then when if they give any in indication of something that was encouraged to them, you just celebrate it, not over the top to make them feel like you're like, you know, positive reinforcement, you know, but just, you know, make it easy. Um, so those are a couple of things. It's, it is hard um, and when two people aren't quite on the same page. So, yeah. All right. Maybe last, last question. As you think about your own Bible reading and Bible study, um, I think all of us would be aware there are so many other resources that we could be turning to to help us understand the word better. And so I wonder if we could focus in on maybe the most common, the most well-known, and that would just be a simple study Bible. Uh, it seems like some Christians would argue, you know, everyone should have a study Bible. You should, you should have that. You should use that regularly. That is your go-to kind of basic tool. And others would kind of say, well, I don't know about that. I think it's better to primarily use a Bible that just is, is purely God's Word and not maybe start to lean on the study Bible as a crutch. 
Where do you fall on that that conversation? Yeah, I think there's probably no, I don't think there's um, a rule that that says you need to have a study Bible as your go-to all the time. And that's just not how the Lord gave us his word, right? Um, and so you need to have the Bible uh, and you need to do it in community and get help. Um, but there's different ways in which you can do that. Now that said, um, study Bibles, good study Bibles, right? And, and you guys are producing great ones. I love them, uh, are a, an incredibly helpful resource. So I think for some people it could be, rather than trying to pick, am I a study Bible person or not? Say, how about for this next season of Bible reading, I, I use a study Bible with this read through the Bible and I'll read the introductory material and some of the notes. And that's how I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And then let it be for a season. And then maybe do a different kind of study Bible a different time or not. Um, or have it on hand and either use that to, for the Bible reading, and when you have a question, read it, um, or just have it close at hand. So in your Bible reading, you're going to come to sections where you're thinking, man, a lot of help would be really beneficial to me right now. And now you have a really good resource that won't be 500 pages to read on Isaiah. It'll just give you the quick notes and summary to kind of get you moving to understand the text, and it's a resource right there. I think that's that's incredibly helpful. And even just with Isaiah, for me, I love the book of Isaiah. I don't know how many times I've read it. Um, I still need that help. So this last time, I just I picked a short commentary, and I've used the ESV study Bible before too, and just kind of read the notes alongside because it really helped me understand his word without distracting me from it. And that's the benefit. Um, and also the caution is not to not to make your reading mainly about the study notes, right? Um, but still God's word and then using them in a way that's helpful to you. Mm. Yeah, I'm struck that in this conversation, and honestly, the whole conversation about Bible study, but even more particularly when it comes to supplemental resources, I sometimes think that it can be easy for us to feel pressure to do things a certain way, to use certain resources in a certain order, uh, based on maybe what other people have recommended or found to be helpful. But how much how much in this conversation would you say is somewhat subjective and kind of based on maybe someone's personality or their background or their disposition or maybe the season of life that they're in? Yeah, I think I think all of those factors are, are at play. And I think that's really, that's the mark of wisdom is to just recognize the complexity of life, the differences of seasons, the differences of personalities, and then also to know yourself well enough to know um, if you if you're someone who's never pursued resources, well, maybe maybe there is a benefit to that, and maybe you need to think, well, that that would be helpful. I guess I don't have all the answers. Maybe that would be useful to me. Or if you're someone who's kind of just always you have the Bible and a commentary, and you you read the Bible for one minute, and you read the commentary for twenty minutes, you've been doing that for twenty years. Maybe that's a bit imbalanced, right? Just rethink like what is that. What is that effect in your life when you're not actually immersing yourself in God's Word, right? That can be good for a, for a season. So just kind of knowing yourself and finding out what is what would be wise and helpful for me right now. I think of George Whitfield, who he uh, in his uh, or a biography I was reading of him recently. The author described his time in the Word, and he would you know read the Bible. He had Greek and Hebrew. He had Matthew Henry's commentary, and so he'd read it. He'd read Matthew Henry's commentary, then he'd push all the resources aside, and um, it, this said he would pray over every line. That's He's meditating and praying, and, and so there, there's just a, a balanced approach, right? He was reading the Bible, he had a resource, and then he made sure to meditate and pray, and no doubt it didn't look the same all the time, but he was trying to do a balanced approach, right, integrating these things. Mm, yeah, yeah, there we go again. Nuance, and it's a both-and. Right. 
Well, Drew, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with us about just tips and ideas and encouragement for engaging with God's Word on a regular basis, um, digging in and learning more, and, and really benefiting from that as God intends. Yeah, glad to be here and, and grateful for the opportunity to consider it together. That was Drew Hunter on Becoming a Better Bible Reader. For more help reading the Bible every day, be sure to check out Unfolding Grace, 40 Guided Readings Through the Bible, and the accompanying study guide written by Drew. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.